I'm Holly Sexton, and this is a special episode of the Boss Lady Coaching Podcast. We won't have any fancy introductions on this one. It's just two friends sitting down to talk about some big topics, sexual assault, the Me Too movement, and subtle sexism. Emily Neal is my friend and a guest, and Emily is here with me at Silverleaf, Kentucky, because we are a traveling podcast. Emily, for those who are listening, would you tell them what you do at Silverleaf? Yes. Hello. Um... So Silverleaf is, is kind of going through a restructure now. My title is Director of Community Engagement. Um, so I'm out there in the community. I'm recruiting volunteers. And then I also do some operations stuff here at the at the center. So, And today you just came from a training. I did. So there's um, a SART training on, so sexual assault response team training on Fort Knox. And so they have to do some mandatory sexual assault, sexual harassment trainings. And they asked me to come and conduct, I think, six sessions of that. So I go back in a couple of weeks to finish that up. So, And you talk about these subjects all the time. I do, yeah. I talk about, you know, what our services are, um, what the statistics are, um, what they can do, you know, if, if, they, if they suspect it or they see it, you know, just things to look for. Well, we can't turn on any media platform right now mm-hmm. and not hear about women and men coming forward about sexual assault and harassment experience experiences. Um, so this podcast is really personal for me. Mm-hmm. It's different than any other one that I've done. I've learned a lot from all of ours, but I have decided that I will not share the details of the sexual assault, abuse, and harassment that I've experienced And I've been feeling kind of guilty about that because I've been thinking about talking to you and how much I would be willing to, and not that you would ask me, but to be forthcoming about. And I think with this movement, I feel pressure to um, not just participate as the hashtag me too, but also share my story because I know it can do a lot of good. Mm -hmm. But for lots of reasons, I've decided not to share Mm -hmm. my story. This is a great movement. You know, there is solidarity in this. You know, it is in the media every single day. I mean, literally every there single is a new day. Allegation now. Out yeah. Anyway. And, um, you know, there's this huge movement. Now's the time to be talking about it. But at the same time, you don't want to compromise yourself when you do that because that's not going to do any good either. Mm-hmm. You know, you might be at a place in your journey or in your healing and your recovery from that um, where you feel like you can talk about it or or you might not or you may never be you know but that's a personal thing that's and that's that's what we want to get out there that this is it's a personal thing and you that shouldn't have to be compromised because of whatever position that you're in mm-hmm. you know I, I agree and if I were still in a situation like that yeah an ongoing situation then I know that I should ask for help. Right. But that was at least 10 years mm-hmm. ago, you know, and and there are there are things I experience because I'm female. Right. Subtle sexism and that type mm-hmm. of thing that I do experience, but I'm getting better and better at handling those situations. Yeah. But I just don't feel, even though that was so long ago, I'm not ready to yeah. talk about that. And I'm not ready to expose myself mm-hmm. and make myself so vulnerable no. yet. And there's not a time frame on it. No. Either. You know, I I mean, I know that sometimes we get calls and, oh, you know, just to be careful not to disclose any identifying details. But, um, you know, someone calling and saying something happened. I had a flashback of something that might have happened in my childhood. Um, 
And as a survivor, for me to hear that, that makes total sense. Right. Because you do have flashbacks yeah. from things that Absolutely. happen. Absolutely. And there are triggers that you don't even know you have. Absolutely. So, and it's like, whoa. Right. Yeah. So what do you do? Right? Mm-hmm. So my answer to her was, our services are free. Come in and, and, and you know, if, if you would like to talk to somebody about it, you can talk, and mm-hmm. talk to somebody. She was like, well, I don't know 100% that I was a victim of sexual assault. And I'm like... But you feel like you might have been. Mm-hmm. So it, if if there's a chance that, that talking about it, if you feel like that's going to help, then let's do that. But I think the important thing to remember about the whole time frame is that it, you're in a traumatic event when that happens. You know, sometimes you hear about, you know, people changing their stories after the traumatic event and then that hurts with prosecution because they said one thing on the night of and then two weeks later they said something else and if it's two years down the road, maybe they say something else. But what we know through research is that your frontal lobe takes over Mm -hmm. and you really don't have any control of your reactions during that traumatic event. So it's it's, it's PTSD is what it is, you know, so it's... And I know people can misremember things. Absolutely, and we can think and, back and the on time frame is com- can can be completely off. Mm-hmm. You know, so you might remember it as a second, mm-hmm. but you might have been in there for two hours. There, there's no way to determine that. And in the big scheme of things, that doesn't that doesn't matter. You know, the fact is that it happened to you. It doesn't. But you know, we all know when you get into the court system, and they have to have evidence, and they have to have timelines, and then you know. People get re-victimized over and over and over and have to tell their story over and over and over. And that's something that does come up whenever you, mm-hmm. you know, you, you come out with your story. If you decide to do that, you know, is answering those questions and you might not have those answers. So, but it's what people need to know and is, I think is very important is that the time frame does get mixed up and how you remember events changes and that what you do in those traumatic events, you don't, you know, why didn't you do this or why didn't you do that? Because you didn't have control over it. Mm-hmm. You didn't have any control over how you reacted to it. And the Me Too, hashtag Me Too movement was initially started by Tarana Burke, mm-hmm. and that was over a decade ago. Right. Um, it was not a hashtag, but it was a phrase that had so much power that it was hashtagged and became a movement after Harvey Weinstein was outed for using Mm -hmm. his power and influence to abuse women. Actually, actress Alyssa Milano made the Me Too Mm -hmm. hashtag, and it went viral from there. But Burke created Me Too for marginalized people, Mm -hmm. and she's still working on that program. Um, There's an article, a really great article, on thenation.com, and Tarana Burke wrote... I didn't start Me Too as a hashtag, and if I had had the opportunity to, I probably wouldn't have done it that way. I think what has happened has been beautiful to watch, but what concerns me is what all of these survivors are going to do now. We're looking at mass disclosure across social Mm -hmm. media, and if you are still struggling with coming to terms with disclosing, you may have not been ready for it. There's a series of emotions that most survivors go through after disclosing. It starts with feeling great, like the weight on your shoulders has been lifted. And then you're alone with your thoughts, like, why did I do that? And then what about the person who gets backlash? Right. And what about the person whose family didn't know? Right. So and she makes I love some excellent that. points. I love that. That puts it into words so much better than I've been able to. No, I think so. you did really well. But, <laughs> but just to expand upon that, uh, so Me Too, and, and it is 
the program she's working on is for marginalized women mm -hmm. and it's did, but it did start with sexual assault. Mm -hmm. okay. So that's the origins mm -hmm. of me too. I did it too, but when we talked about it and it did, it felt brave for me to do it and yeah. I felt good about it. And I had a couple of people ask me about it, but really it felt just like this, another fad, another thing to do on social media. Yeah, that was my next question. Like, yeah, I think absolutely. I, I did it. I'm brave. I did this. But yes. then, like she said, What's, what, what, what after that, yeah. you know, and, and there is that, that pressure to feel part of something. Um, if you do have a large reach, I could totally see the pressure in yeah. being someone who says me too, you know, yeah. okay, well this happened to Holly or this happened to, you know, um, Allie Raisman, mm -hmm. you know, for one, you know, just, just, you know, names that, that you're hearing all the time now, mm -hmm. you know, to feel that pressure, but she's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. What now? And, and it's good that this has happened. And I like the way she acknowledged that as well. I do too. And there's, and you touched a little bit on this, but what we're hearing from people that are skeptical, they're either skeptical or they're tired of hearing about mm -hmm. it. Why wait so long? Why are people coming out 20 years later? Why are, why are they doing that and accusing with no proof? And accusing. And accusing with mm -hmm. no proof. Those are right. the words that I'm hearing. Right. Why wait so long? So less than 2% of people who report are false reporting. So when you say that somebody is accusing, there's a less than 2% chance that they're actually accusing, you know, or that, that that accusation, rather, maybe I should say it like this, is wrong. And they're basically calling them out for it. Mm -hmm. So, and, and if somebody's listening and they're like, well, why would they do that? Yes, there are some people that want attention, but I know from my perspective, mm -hmm. I don't want Not any of that attention. kind of attention. Mm -mm. So no. there is no way I would call mm -mm. out someone yeah. because I know that it's I'm taking a huge mm -hmm. risk. Absolutely. So you know why? You know, and maybe they didn't want their maybe they didn't want their families to know. Maybe, oh my gosh, there are so many different reasons why someone might wait 10 years, 20 years, or never to disclose what's happened to them. You know, maybe they have children. Maybe they don't want their children to know about it. Maybe. Maybe it would hurt their career mm -hmm. if they said something about it. Um, maybe they don't remember it. Maybe they didn't remember it until last year. Um, there, there are just so many different reasons. I mean, each case is, is so different. Um, maybe they needed a movement like Me Too. Maybe they didn't realize that there were this many other people that it was happening to. There is a certain isolation. Mm -hmm. it, not a certain. There's a total isolation mm -hmm. in abuse. Mm -hmm. And... And that's part of the original Me Too movement that started was to um, to get rid of that mm -hmm. isolation. And you're right, and more and more people. And and what you hear from skeptics is, well, this is a coup, this mm -hmm. is a witch hunt, that type yeah. of thing. When really it's it's like the light bulb goes on. Well, and it's I think like, wow. You, this person did this mm -hmm. to you too. I thought this was an isolated incident. One hundred percent. And I also think the question should not be why did they wait so long to come out with this. I think the question should be why didn't they feel like they could come out with it twenty years ago? What obstacle right. kept them right from? And then there's something called active. Any, anyway, the point is, I'll, I'll look it up later. I'll it. <laughs> but it, it's when a person is still with their abuser in some capacity. Mm -hmm. They're living with them. They're working with them. They're they the father are, of their children. Relative, something, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, but still being in that active relationship in mm -hmm. some way where you can't mm -hmm. come forward. Yeah. So absolutely, you'd wait 
10 years right. or 20 years right. or whatever. Or maybe, you know, there are just so many maybes in that situation. Mm-hmm. It's just, I think the important thing to remember is that you have to figure out what is right for you in your journey. And whether that is by, you know, talking to, to friends who, who can listen reasonably, you know, and not try to fix it for you. Because I, I think that that's not something that we can do. And we kind of have to get out of that mindset of we can fix it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another thing that we talk about a lot here in our trainings is that we, we can't make the hurt go away. We can't mm-hmm. fix this, this thing that happened to you, this horrible thing. We can't fix it for you, you know. Um, so in, in thinking about why, why you wait or um, when, should you, when should you talk to people, um, I think you have to weigh the, weigh the options on that. You know, what benefit is it going to be to you? Is it going to be, is it even going to be a benefit? Speaking of that, how can we prepare our sons and daughters for these types of situations when they're away from us? sports mm-hmm. in the locker room mm-hmm. when when they go into their first job it's hard when they live in a dorm how can we prepare our sons and daughters for these situations gosh when you when you say that I try that my mind goes to how can I prepare myself for like sending my kid off to college or <laughs> even like sending them to school or you know knowing where they're that they're going to have to go to PE and change in a locker room in front of a bunch of other people mm-hmm. which I feel like is absurd um, I really, by the way, love guys. Guys, I feel really bad for them. That mm-hmm. has always bugged me. I know. Like in in high school, ladies, we we could change openly, but we had places to change and shower. Right. Open showers freak me out, and I'm sorry, guys. I know that is not okay. I, I cannot even. Men uh, should not, and no, boys should not. I can tell you 100. percent I would like not that. shower if I had to shower in front of somebody else. Mm-hmm. I, I'm with you. So showing some love for the men, yeah. there are some things that need to change for them. Absolutely, too, so. absolutely. But yeah. Right now, I but can't. I can't handle that. I'm not on that. That's topic. a different I'm podcast. Not, yes. But I am raising a son, and so is Megan. Mm-hmm. She's raising two sons. Yeah. So our job as mothers mm-hmm. raising sons is to teach them how to respectfully treat people. Yes. All people. Yeah. And, and I for think you that, as raising a daughter yeah. and a son. So a twelve year old daughter and a thirteen year old son. And and I think that you just hit on it a little bit with um how how to avoid it, you know. I think that you do need to have those conversations with what to do if this happens. But I think at the same time, if we spent as much time with our children teaching them how to treat other people rather than, or as much time doing that as we spend what to do if this happens to you, I kind of feel like it wouldn't happen as much. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think we should be talking about body parts. I think we should be... Appropriately named. Appropriately named. You know, vagina is not a bad word. No. You know, Um, and saying that, you know, hey, it... If you see this happening to somebody, it's okay to say, you know, you don't, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be a huge deal. You can say that wasn't cool, you know, or I I don't know, you know, part of the whole green dot. So one program that we do here in high schools, but this is high schools, um, is, is green dot, which is, you know, a bystander prevention program, what to do if you see it happening. Um, in elementary schools, we do good touch, bad touch, and now we add in uncomfortable touch. Um, so, you know, I think having those conversations with your kid about um, what it, what an okay touch is. It's not necessarily, you know, the whole um, 
mommy, daddy, and your doctor are the only ones who can touch you this way. I don't know about that. You know, because what if it's dad mm-hmm. that, that's doing the bad touch? What if it's stepdad that's doing the bad touch? What, or what if, if it's, it's mom or what stepmom? What if it's mom or what if it's aunt? Mm-hmm. You know, so-and-so who's doing the bad touch. So I think that you teach what touches are okay and what are not and talk a lot about what they're comfortable with. If it makes you uncomfortable, um, we talked a little bit about this earlier, yes, you know, you with an article yeah. about that, and, it, and and I was reading it cringing because I thought, oh, oh I've me done too. some of these things, and I'm and I'm sorry, but it, I was un, it was mm-hmm. I just it was what I was taught, yeah, and so I didn't even think about it, no. and unfortunately, we have to think about these things. We do. And we have to teach our kids these things. Yeah, that's why it's important. And I think that that's a big deal, and and it, and it makes it really makes me think about it. And I wish I could go back ten years with my kids, you mm-hmm. know. Because I think if you if you teach children how to be comfortable with themselves that and help them to recognize what they're comfortable with and teach them how to stand up for that in an appropriate way, mm-hmm. I think that that's a big part of the problem. You know, like one of the things in that article that we talked about, you know, making making my daughter hug her uncle before we leave you know and she's like hanging on my leg like no I don't want to and I'm like no you know you're being rude go give your your uncle a hug before sure. we leave or whatever and, and we've just, all done it we've all done it and that's just an example so you know I don't want like Ayla's uncle to think I'm talking about him I'm not <laughs> but um <laughs> but you know in the chance he hears this in North Carolina and, I mean you know like, by the way, saying, hey, um, I know I told you not to talk to strangers, but this is a person you see once a year, and yeah. I want you to go hug them. Yeah. But having that conversation when they're older and saying, hey, I know you only see this person once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. It is polite, because they are your family, mm-hmm. to give them a hug yeah. upon entering or leaving. Right. Beyond that. Yeah. You don't have to do anything that you're uncomfortable right. with. But that's the thing, them being old and kids being mm-hmm. old enough to understand. And I think also if even at that point, if they're like, No, I don't want to, then you trust that. Don't make them. No. Mm-mm. No. Um, you were talking a little bit about the changes from what you teach in elementary school to mm-hmm. high school. Explain that third element. You talk good touch, bad touch. What's that? Uncomfortable touch. What is uncomfortable touch? So uncomfortable touch would be um, just a feeling that you have. You know, like, I mean, we all know what we all, I would assume, uh, maybe I shouldn't assume what a bad touch is. Mm -hmm. You know, like they're not allowed to touch your vagina, your vagina. They're not allowed to touch your breasts. You're not allowed to touch a boy's penis. You know, things like that. Like those are bad touches. Good touches might be a hug if it's an appropriate hug or um, a pat on the back maybe for doing a good job, you know, from a a teacher or something like that. Uncomfortable would be maybe something that you can't put your, you know, you can't really identify, but it just gives you an uncomfortable feeling. Maybe, maybe someone pats you on the back, but maybe they drop their hand a little bit too low. I'm not comfortable with you doing that. With everything that you see and all the information that you're out there giving all the time, do you feel hopeful for our kids when you go in the schools? Do you feel like when they, this generation that's in elementary, middle, and high school, do you feel like when they go into the workplace that they are going to be able to have these crucial conversations maybe a little bit better and fewer and easier? Do you think they pay attention yes. to what's happening in the media? Do you Absolutely. Think they're watching all yeah. these movements? I do, 100% I do. Um, where I get worried is 
is that going to be squashed by people in positions of authority um, in our current climate? Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And that's what worries me. I, I think that the movement is, is great. I think all the awareness right now is phenomenal. Um, I think that we're trying, you know, to get into to schools and have different programs. You know, we don't do stranger danger anymore. And I think that that's a step in the right direction because, you know, less than like 7% of the time it's, it's actually a stranger. Like 93% of the time it's somebody that you know. So getting away from the word getting stranger. Away, yeah, like you said, it, it, it's, a, it's about language. So I think that people are listening to that. I, I really do think that kids are listening. I know for a fact kids are listening to that because I have a story from a friend. And I, and I won't tell the story, and I'm sorry that I even brought it up because I won't tell it. But well, now I really want to hear I, it. But basically, <laughs> it's, it's a good friend of mine and her daughter standing up for a friend who was being harassed. Um, and then this other person turning around and calling her what, what he perceived as a bad name, but something that she was proud of, mm-hmm. you know? So it, it really wasn't a, it, it really, he really didn't hurt her by saying that, you know, she was like, yeah, I am. So anyway, that was very vague, but, um, but she's listening. This girl is listening and she's strong and she will stand up for her friends and she will say, um, that's not cool. That's sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. And use those words. Hey, that's sexual harassment, what you just did. So calling, identifying yeah. what the behavior is. Yeah, that's sexual harassment. I, I think that's huge. You know, so I do think that that, that is great and I think that that's happening. Um, so I think that this generation that's coming up can have a huge impact. Um, I do. I just worry we're in parents. today's climate about what's going to get in the way of that. Mm-hmm. So, um, But I think as long as we keep talking to yeah. our kids about it, yeah. and, and most importantly, living by example. Yeah, and, and I think not being afraid to talk to your kids about it. And... To not make your children feel like anything is off limits to talk about when it comes to anything that's happened to them or anything they're uncomfortable about, um, or your friends, you know? Mm-hmm. Creating that safe environment. Yeah, and, and believing them when they say that something has happened. And that's something that's huge here as well. You know, if we get a call or if we have to go to the hospital, if there's, a, you know, someone who's been assault, assaulted at the hospital and we go, our number one thing is that we believe them. Bottom line, you know, we are not the ones who are there trying to figure out what happened. We are listening to what they are saying. We are believing them, and we are putting all of their choices back in their hands. Mm-hmm. If they don't, if they don't want to tell their whole story, if they don't want to have the forensic medical exam done, if they only want to do part of it, if they don't want to report what happened to them, um, if it's not a mandatory reporting issue, then then that's okay. That's that's the right decision. If that's the decision that they're making for themselves in that moment. So you're giving them choices. We're giving them power. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they have to have the, the ability to make choices. And to, I, I don't know if I said that right. We're giving them power. That's like... that's And Megan and I have been talking a lot about the word empower. Yeah, yeah, I know. You're giving them room. Giving, yes, thank you. To like, just make the choices that they want absolutely. to make. Absolutely. We're supporting. But, yes. We're maybe validating their story and and their ability to make decisions for themselves 
and believing them, not feeling like they have to prove to us that something happened. We're not there to determine whether or not that it happened. Mm-hmm. That's not your role. That's not my that role. Situation. That's not, yeah, that's not, that's, yeah, not our role. For someone listening right now, Boss Lady coaching the podcast and all of that, the goal is to provide information. Mm-hmm. And so we're already empowered. Mm-hmm. So women can just take what we talk about and do what they want with right. it. Right. And one of those things is you providing information here. If mm-hmm. someone is listening and they don't know how to uh, talk to people in the workplace mm-hmm. or they want to talk to their kids, but they really don't know where to start, mm-hmm. I know you provide materials for mm-hmm. that type of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, we have two educators here, um, educators slash prevention specialists. Um, Either way, they're the ones that are in the schools. Um, they, they are in elementary schools, high schools. They're um, trying really hard to get into a lot of middle schools. So if there are any listeners here who have any you know type of pull at middle schools, we would love to get into more middle schools. Um, it's, it's an area that's been neglected in the past. Um, so we're really trying to develop curriculum right now. There's not very good curriculum out there at this time for middle schools. So our two educators have come up with a good, um, solid uh, curriculum to take into middle schools, and we would love to do that. Um, so, uh, yeah, definitely, we we have we have those materials, and you know, even um, just to ask those questions, you know, I'm happy and to. Sometimes talk. you don't know where to start, no. or what's appropriate for mm-hmm. your kid at what age, mm-hmm. or to go into your your workplace and implement some sort of program. Mm-hmm. I would, yeah, we would absolutely be happy to come to workplaces to, you know, talk about our services, um, answer questions. You know, that was one of the things that, that we talked about on Fort Knox today was just them coming here to kind of, you know, it kind of gives people a better, better understanding of what we do here if they can come and see mm-hmm. kind of where, where, where t- things take place, you know. So um, we had talked about doing that for some, some militaries. Folks that are in the start the sexual assault re- response team training, so SARC training, which that's exciting to see that happening. Oh my goodness! In the military. Yeah, yeah, I'm, it is. I'm really proud that, that very that's yeah, very very excited about that. And there's there is a lot of um, you know, military speaks his own language, uh, and I wasn't raised in the military. My mom was civil service for 35 years, but I wasn't raised military. It's a whole different culture. It's a whole different culture, and um, being able to bridge that gap. Um, he, he was able to give me a lot of materials today that I plan on following up on and doing research on um, and inviting me to some other trainings that they have because it, it goes both ways. You know, we've got to learn to speak their language and they've got to learn to speak ours. So, mm-hmm. But things are being done on both fronts. I mean, the military has made great strides in the last 10 years as well. So, Well, that gives me hope. Yeah. There's a lot of hope there. Well, if you want more information, you can go to Silverleaf ky.org and get in touch with Emily. Thanks for talking with me. No problem. Thanks for having me. Next time over (laughs) wine, right? Yes, definitely.